Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scorse and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. So I hope everybody is staying sane and healthy. Tough times here, uh, but uh, that's where we are. And uh, today's episode is entitled, If History is Written by the Winners. And it's kind of meant as part question, part statement. Uh, I got motivated to talk about it from this angle, this the topics today, because Bill Barr, Attorney General, just recently, when asked about whether he was worried about his legacy, given that he's just decimating the Justice Department and being a, a, a stool for President Trump and really the worst attorney general in perhaps all of American history, although the question wasn't framed like that, but it was intimating that, that he was really going, you know, um, into territory that had never been gone before in terms of corruption. He chuckled and, you know, he's quite a evil, sinister man. And he, in that big kind of fat chuckle, and he said, well, history is written by the winners. And so it was kind of like, you know, haha, you suckers, you little people, you know, we're just going to steamroll over the rule of law and rewrite everything, which is really, in, in a sense, what he is doing at this moment, right? He is saying the whole Russia investigation was not necessarily a hoax, but it was un, you know, um, it was not a, a good investigation and it was not justified. And that it was mostly a hoax. He's really kind of gotten into the conspiracy theory angles, saying really you know, against his own departments, right? Saying that the Justice Department, the FBI, these people did all these horrible things against President Trump, which we know is obviously the opposite of the truth. That he is a, you know, corrupt and uh, to the to the nth degree, and that you know this the, the recent episode is that they, you know he's at. He's trying to drop the charges, the criminal charges against Michael Flynn, who already had pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI and never really fully cooperated with the Mueller investigation. And so it's 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 just levels upon levels upon levels of corruption that we really haven't seen in modern American history. Although, of course, you know, Bush Cheney wasn't uh, any walk in the park there. The one thing I you know want to mention here, a couple last couple things on Barr here is Barr fooled a lot of people. I remember I, I listened to the Stay Tuned podcast with Preet Bharara, who uh, you know is great legal mind and was uh, you know the SDNY, uh, the Southern District of New York. He was the head of that under Obama and did a lot of great things and a really you know strong progressive and, and a real sensible guy. You know isn't super partisan, but is just you know. He, and I remember when Barr was nominated to take over the Justice Department, he was like, you know, cautiously optimistic. He said, this is a guy, you know, a legal tradition. He's former Eternal General. He's going to come in and be serious. And it's been the exact opposite, right? He has used his knowledge and his connections and his stature uh, in the conservative movement to just absolutely 
oversee the most corrupt and insanely demoralizing Justice Department in modern history. And so, you know, this is the, the, the part that I keep trying to get across to people. People kept get, getting suckered all the time, right? It's, it's Lucy and Charlie Brown and the football over and over again that there's somehow some adults, some people in the GOP that are going to come in and rein in Trump and get things back to some semblance of normal. And that just doesn't exist, right? The people who are against Trump and the Republican Party have left the Republican Party they're either independents now or consider themselves conservatives. But anyone who's in you know good standing in the Republican Party at this point in time is just a sellout and basically a traitor, and you know putting uh, his you know his or her own career over the well-being of the country. And uh, it's really a sight to see to see these people sell their souls so cheaply for someone as pathetic as Trump. So the the GOP is entirely corrupt. And, you know, Barr says this joking phrase, uh, you know, ha ha, you know, history's written by the winners. And so I want to interrogate this a little, uh, both kind of from the meta and then get into, well, if it is written by the winners, you know, what what's Joe Biden's plan here and, and what's the new history that's to be written? So the first thing I just want to point out, and it's kind of obvious, but it's worth stating, is that you know, what's the time frame here? When you say history is written by the winners, what time frame? Is it the winners of that battle of the larger war? Is it historical periods of centuries? Because let's just take a look at, you know, recent American history. So European Americans technically won their battles against Native Americans. A lot of that was done by illness, um, you know, and smallpox and disease that the Native Americans were not had no immunity to. So a lot of, most of them were, were killed by the diseases Europeans brought. But putting aside how we, you know, overcame the Native Americans in, in our history, in a limited sense, you can absolutely say that they were, they were victorious. Um, and, you know, and here we are a couple, you know, a few centuries later, and in some of, in some circumstances, even less, and that, that, quote, victory doesn't look very sound, does it, right? You know, we have ushered in an era of climate change and ecological destruction. Uh, and, you know, the, the well-being and sustainability of the United States is definitely not in question. And we're, I mean, is in question and we're a very young nation, right? So it's a couple centuries, right? You know, we have, you know, China's 5,000 years old, you know, the, the Jewish civilization, thousands of years old. And so a, a country that's a couple hundred years old that's already starting to see big cracks in its foundation, is that really a win? If you want to go even to the next level, you know, the white supremacy that Barr celebrates, clearly Barr is also a white supremacist and, and a theocrat, that he, you know, um, and that white supremacy that animated the, the genocide of the Native Americans is actually destroying America too. You know, this is something I've pointed out that white supremacy built America and it's also destroying America because white supremacy is such a big thread of the Trump phenomena. And that's clearly what's destroying our institutions and the foundations of our government. So, you know, the point being is even if it's true in some limited sense that history is written by the winners, you know, it's you got to think of what the time frame here is, and it's often a fool's errand and the purview of short sightedness and people who lack wisdom to really put it in that context. 
right? So we have now, you know, humanity in a very dire situation. And we definitely need some short-term victories, no doubt, right? We need to get this corrupt uh, white supremacist regime out of the United States government. Um, and we absolutely need to right the, the ship here. But, you know, in the longer term, sometimes these vir- these victories can be pyrrhic if they're, if they're not really grounded in wisdom and long-term thinking. So we're getting some good signals from the Biden camp about both their strategy to win and what they plan to do with their power. And so after the break, I will uh, discuss that. Okay, so Joe Biden, who is the uh, nominee now um, and, uh, you know, is trying to gear up for a victory and a transition to power, is making some good signals here. So I want to talk about a few things uh, that I'm happy about in, in, in his camp. Before I get into that, though, you know, more has come out on the Tara Reid allegations. And I will say that they don't look good for Tara Reid. So PBS uh, did a special. They interviewed dozens of former Biden staffers, many of them women. And they all spoke very highly of Biden and never heard anything about him harassing people and never felt uncomfortable around him and didn't corroborate anything in Reid's allegations. I don't know if Joe Biden is innocent. Uh, only probably two people in the world do, him and Tara Reid. But given her shady dealings and given the fact that, uh, you know, again, all the people who work with Joe over many decades seem to really stand by him, I'm feeling that this is going to fade away and is not a big deal. Also, you know, Biden having a female vice president certainly will help him in this degree with women to some extent. Obviously, having a a VP woman doesn't mean that, you know, you can go around sexually harassing people. Um, But it's certainly, I don't think the Tara Reid allegations are going to hurt him that much. And, uh, you know, we can get that um, behind us. Uh, You know, one thing I also want to point out is, you know, on the kind of the, the politics of this here is that, you know, given the current moment, Biden seems pretty well positioned to win. Right. If we took COVID out of the picture, right, and the stock market was still at a record high and we had, you know, near record low unemployment, I think Biden would have gotten crushed. I really do. In fact, I think he would have been the worst possible candidate to nominate. Uh, he doesn't excite the base or young people. And that's what we really would have need is a really excited base, kind of Obama-esque type of victory in a good economy and that would have been very tough with any candidate but i think it would have been next to impossible with biden right but the dynamics have changed a lot we're not in that world anymore right and the current dynamics i think actually play very well for him uh so let's break it down a little so it turns out that the the real big difference in 
why Obama won and Hillary lost is that non-educated whites, particularly males, really, really turned against Hillary. Now, what's interesting is Obama did not win a majority of whites. Um, and non-college educated whites, he lost by large margins, but much lower margins than Hillary. I mean, Hillary literally just got destroyed in that demographic. And that demographic is the majority of the people in the country. So if you lose that demographic big time, you got to really make up for it. Obama, fortunately, made up for that with huge record African-American turnout and then young people. And so that's how he and, and, and you know, and, and Hillary didn't have that. But Biden is is peeling a lot of those off. So a lot of the non-college educated whites are moving towards him. Again, Trump will win that group, but he won't win it as great, or at least so far it doesn't look like it. And those extra few percentage points seem to be really working in Biden's favor. Second, senior citizens are really scared by COVID, right? They're the ones most at risk. And they're feeling very, very uncertain in this moment when things are reopening and they don't know what to do. And uh, seniors are starting to move towards Biden. Again, seniors vote and there's a lot of them, right? So another big demographic. Independents and people who don't like Biden and Trump are also moving to him in a huge way. So this is another thing that Hillary lost. There were people who hated Hillary and hated Trump. Those people voted overwhelmingly for Trump in 2016. So that group of I hate everybody, but I'm going to vote anyway. A lot of those people now are saying, I hate Biden. I hate Trump, but I'm going to vote for Biden. Again, pretty big demographic in that kind of independent. Um, and that's uh, looking good for him. And the bottom line is, look, even despite his age and the fact that he's not as sharp as he was 20 years ago, he exudes a basic competency and decency that is absolutely lacking, you know, in Agent Orange's administration. And um, I think this is, you know, this bodes well for this moment. Clearly, he still has major weaknesses and nothing is certain. You know, anything can happen. But I think for this historical moment that we're in, he's looking pretty solid. And I think he might be one of the better candidates, actually. I think his VP pick is going to matter, you know, just to show that he can pick someone that people on the you know progressive side are happy with and someone young and dynamic or if not young and dynamic and Elizabeth Warren who has strong progressive uh, credentials. So anyway, the VP pick I think is important for him more so than in the past. For example, you know, Obama's pick of a Biden I don't think, you know, hurt him or helped him that much. I think it was pretty neutral whereas Biden's pick will probably have more opportunity to to help or hurt him. Um now, the other couple things on the politics side I want to say is I've been seeing some ads that the Biden camp has been running, and I think they've been incredibly well done and very, very effective, right? And most of what they're doing is just showing Trump in his own words all the lunacy that he's been spouting about the COVID and then coming in with the, you know, I can take care of it, basic competency, basic, basic decency, get things done, not make excuses, and so I think that's the playbook, right? Just show Trump in his own words how insane he's been and then come back with, you know, I'll write the ship, trust me. And I think, you know, just do rinse, repeat for the next five, six months. Moving on to the substance side and out of the kind of the horse race side, one big benefit that Biden has is that he is very well positioned to staff the many agencies and departments that have been decimated, decimated by Trump with really competent people. I mean, nobody has a bigger Rolodex than Joe Biden, right? He's been in, you know, 
the eight years of the Obama administration, decades in the Senate, Congress, and he's really connected with, quote, the establishment. But you know what? That's a good thing when you have hundreds and hundreds and, in fact, up to 3,000 positions you need to fill. You know, as a side note, the U.S. is very much alone in this way. Most, you know, developed country bureaucracies do not have this many political appointees. You know, so, you know, to have to staff 3,000, you got to really come in knowing who's the right people for all these departments. That's a huge undertaking. And Biden, I think, is very well positioned to do that. Uh, also, he's making really good overtures to the progressive side, right? This has been the fear that progressives are going to stay home um, and not come out for him. I don't see that happening. Uh, he's working closely with the Bernie people and creating these advisory committees. He just... Uh, uh, announced that AOC is going to be on his climate committee along with people from the Sunrise Movement. So I really see this unity message coming together, particularly in the progressive left, saying, you know, we're going to work with Biden. And he seems to be making a really serious effort to signal that he wants to think bigger and to also really go more progressive. And I think in some ways, the COVID moment has given him that license, right? He would have under a kind of soaring stock market and low unemployment and Trump being really tough to beat, I think he would have been a lot more, you know, um, cautious. I don't think that would have worked for him, but I just think he would have just maybe, you know, talked around the edges about the rule of law and corruption and everything. But I think now that he sees the cracks in the system and how devastated the American economy is and how, you know, that him and Obama didn't fix a lot of the things, um, that that could have been fixed back then, um, you know, 10 years ago, I think he really sees an opportunity to think a lot bigger. And in fact, there was a New York Times Magazine article just a few days ago, I'll put it in um, the show notes, a link to it, that says he's thinking about kind of an FDR style presidency. And so maybe it's not going to be a Green New Deal, but it's going to be some New Deal like thinking, right? The New Deal was, you know, the big social contract of the middle of the 20th century. And I think the time is right for a new one. You know, worker protections, climate justice, um, you know, daycare, women's rights, minimum wage, these kind of big things, maybe even public works programs. Um, so I think something on that scale is now really in his sights, even though it wasn't pre-pandemic. And so this is, I think, bodes very well for not only winning the presidency, but then uh, being able to write the history with a new era in American politics. So after the break, we'll talk a little bit more about what this might look like and the constraints uh, that will confront him if he is victorious. Okay, so what might be possible under an Biden administration? 
to begin, obviously, a Biden presidency, you know, would be able to do relatively little if, you know, we don't win the Senate, right? So winning the Senate is absolutely crucial. You know, if Mitch McConnell was in charge of the Senate when Biden is sworn in, you know, it's almost back to, you know, to back to zero with nothing happening. But I think it is absolutely tr true that the Senate is in play and the Dems can pick up, I think, some key states that can push them over the 50 um, threshold. I think North Carolina is looking good. I think Montana's looking good. And I think they could even go bigger and possibly win some kind of stretch goal state uh, Senate seats in states like Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, even though these are much tougher, right? By the way, this is why I like Stacey Abrams for VP, because she would help, I think, with those. There's two Georgia Senate seats, and I think I think we could win one or both of those, especially with someone like her really, you know, um, amping up the, uh, the African-American vote in Georgia. And also, just wouldn't it be so sweet to knock out Moscow Mitch and the traitor Lindsey Graham from South Carolina and Kentucky and just send those guys into retirement those are long shots. I get it. You know, with Trump on the ballot, winning in Kentucky and South Carolina is going to be very hard. But I don't think it's impossible. I think they're within reach. And so, you know, hopefully we can we can bring those home. So if we do get the Senate, what can we do? Right. So assuming Biden comes into office, I think we're going to have the House. That's that's no doubt. And then maybe, you know, 50 to 53 in the Senate. So he can first obviously get all his cabinet nominees in right away, right? He's going to have a top-notch cabinet, you know, get out all the riffraff and all the knuckleheads that Trump has in there. No more Bill Barr, no more Andrew Wheeler, coal lobbyist and head of the EPA. So really progressive, solid people in all the agencies. I think then we start packing the courts with solid liberals. Now, Mitch McConnell has is doing everything he can to to get every single judge in and leave no vacancies. And, and, you know, Mitch McConnell being the evil operator that he has, who, you know, stole the Supreme Court pick and now has been packing the courts with these right-wing lunatics. Um, that's going to be hard, but, you know, there's still, there's retirements. And if Biden has, you know, four years and perhaps eight, he'll be able to still, you know, get a lot of good um, liberal justices in there. And then obviously we got to replace Breyer and Ginsburg who are very old on the Supreme Court, make sure there's no way that a, a Republican could replace those. And then, obviously, that won't change the composition of the court. We had that, you know, once a generation opportunity uh, in 2016, and we blew it. Uh, but if we get the two young people in for Ginsburg and Breyer, then we got Sotomayor and Kagan, the, you know, the oldest members of the court will then be the conservatives, uh, Thomas, Justice Thomas, and then behind him, you know, Alito and Roberts. And so even though we'll still be a long shot to get a liberal majority in the court, at least we'll have our four young people. And then the next vacancies will likely be the right wingers. And that will give an opportunity for us, um, you know, to fill that. Hopefully Thomas will have a heart attack and die, you know, early on with uh, a Democratic administration. And I say that with absolute sincerity. I don't, I think he's a horrible human being. And done incredible damage to the United States, and I'm absolutely would be um, happy. I, I wouldn't want anyone to murder him or kill him, but if he was to keel over with a heart attack, I would certainly uh, be happy about that. Um, so the next thing is, is using budget reconciliation aggressively to overcome the filibuster, right? So 
There's these arcane rules in the Senate where with a simple majority of 50-51, you can get some pretty big stuff through. That's how, by the way, the Republicans got through their uh, $2 trillion giveaway to corporations uh, in 2017. You can do things that have budget impacts. So you can't change legislation having to do with gay rights or women's rights or immigration. But budgetary stuff you can do through this simple majority and you don't need to, to get the 60 to get over this filibuster. So I think they should be, you know, push the limits of that. Use it very aggressively to get in stuff for climate change, for works programs, for new infrastructure. And I think they could be creative there. And the what I've been hearing is that there's quite a lot of leeway if they want to push it. And I think they would because obviously Mitch, Mitch McConnell is going to block everything. Um, and that would be their only avenue. Now, obviously, I think it would be better to just get rid of the filibuster, but I don't see that happening right away, and that's, that's a larger conversation. Then I think you know they would get some version of the Green New Deal in there through the budget reconciliation process. We could obviously get back into the Paris Climate Accords. We could bring back Obama's Clean Power Plan, but you know ramp it up and make it even stronger. So I think there's a lot of amazing stuff that could be done there. I think... They could also pass strong worker protections in the House, maybe even some DACA stuff, you know, help the DACA immigrant um, kids and maybe even try to give them a path to citizenship, throw a lot of pro-women stuff in these bills and then force Mitch McConnell's hand, right? Pass it in the House, have Joe Biden get up on the bully pulpit and say, we passed this great stuff to help workers and help the, you know, the immigrant youth who've been you know, working hard in this country and just want to shop and let the Republicans, you know, take that on the chin. Maybe, you know, a few of them would peel off. I don't, I don't know. I doubt it. I think they'll still obstruct everything, but it certainly would be good politically and it would be good substantively if we could peel off a few Republicans. So I think all in all, a Biden win with the Senate majority could be quite transformative. And I think a lot more so than I would have thought you know, pre-COVID here. So I'm not sure if things like a public option could get 60 votes in the Senate. I highly doubt it. I think anything beyond the kind of minimalist DACA-type immigration reform would be very hard to get through the Senate because, again, white supremacy is now a core part of the Republican ideology. And anything that's going to try to, you know, legalize uh, any type of Hispanic immigrants in large numbers is going to be opposed. And, and I guess think we're not going to get high enough numbers in the Senate where we even if we peeled off a couple uh, Republicans, we would still probably need eight, 10 Republicans. And that that would be almost impossible. Uh, but I think the wheel is turning strongly in favor in the Democrats direction, right? The wheel of progress, the wheel of history, if we win, I think will usher in a much more transformational uh, presidency than we would have might have expected, especially under a Biden. I think he he wants to step up to this historical moment, and I think things are looking good. So after the break, I'll come back with the antidotes. The wheel is turning and you can't slow down. You can't let go and you can't hold on. You can't go back and you can't stand still. Just a little 
Okay, so the antidotes for today are going to be kind of in the same theme that I've been pushing all year and I'm going to push through November, which is unity. Unity 2020. We all must come together. No third party bullshit. No staying at home. No complaining. No whining. Just, you know, rolling up our sleeves and getting together and getting a strong Democratic majority throughout the U.S. government for 2021. On that note, I will match donations to voter protection and integrity organizations. So if any of you out there listening want to give a donation to the Environmental Voter Project, to Stacey Abrams' Fair Fight, to Mi Familia Vota, to Vote Forward, right? any of these voter protection organizations, I will match your donation with a $25 donation of my own. I've been doing this already for weeks and generating thousands of dollars for these and, and putting up hundreds of my own money. And so all you need to do is email me uh, you know, some proof that you have donated to one of these orgs. You can use the, the link on the website to contact us or just send me an email at jscores at gmail. And that's just the letter J and then scores my last name at gmail. Send it to me and I will match you know, $25 for each organization you donate to. And I'm happy to do that because I really think if we can protect the, the vote in November, we will win big. And uh, so that's where I'm putting a lot of my money. So let's do this. Let's win big so that we can write the near-term history and beyond, right? So that we can be the writers of history and also we can make it right, right? We can correct these injustices and these harms that have been done by the right wing in America and by the Trump administration and his evil minions, Let's correct the record and write a new history. Uh, so with that, everybody, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. Rate it. And uh, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, uh, and uh, Spotify as well. So with that, everybody, have a great one. Take care.